It is Locked on Jazz for the 13th of October. Jared Butler, knowing his role and can he prosper? Physicality without fouling and predictions for the Eastern and Western Conference. The one seeds may be surprising. The number one offenses will make you think a little bit. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free, and we are available on all podcasting apps and on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe. If you're podcasting, follow. And if you're on YouTube, please hit that little bell button and get notified every time we go live or like that we go, that we put up, just like we accidentally went live for about four minutes there. And you got to know that that was going on. So a um, little special treat for those of you for four minutes who got something that wasn't supposed to be live. Nothing happened. It wasn't very exciting, but it did happen. Um, and that's why there was no drum roll today. Because I've only got one drum roll in me a day, people. I mean, there's just, come on, that's a special. Does everybody know the backstory on the drum roll? We have new listeners, new viewers. So the backstory on the drum roll is we... Started the show with something called Tip Off in like, I'd have to go back and look, but 2010, maybe? So 13 years ago, 12, 12 years ago. And it was just a makeshift show. You actually can find the first one somewhere out there in the ether. Um, and, and I didn't know what I was doing. And we didn't know what we were doing. And I had no production and everything else. And I'd come from radio. And there was like this feeling of like, all right, well, I got to, um, you know, I got to have, like, production. But I had no production. I had no open. I had no anything. So I just started kind of joking around that, like, oh, well, we're so ragtag and we have no production that this is our production. It's me doing a bad drum roll as a tone-deaf individual. And then it stuck. So the backstory, the, the, the ba-dum-bum-bum-bum-bum, oh, my gosh, I have two of them in me a day, um, is actually kind of this back to the origins of Lockdown before we had, like, cool graphics and logos and a company and everything else. So anyone who's wondering why we do that stupid drum roll before every show that now then runs into fancy graphics that are built by people and things like that. Anyway, it's kind of the back to the roots of Lockdown for those who've been around the drum roll forever. All right, uh, I want to talk about Jared Butler. Uh, Will Hardy had some interesting comments the other day, so we'll build on that. And then I have the Eastern Conference and Western Conference predictions. I've touched on the West. We'll just dig into it again. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. Jared Butler, in his press conference the other day, talked about how he just really, last year, never, ever had a defined role. And and then he even went back to his Baylor days where they win the national title. But he, it's not his natural position to actually be the point guard the whole time. He's not... Um, he's not, act, you know, the, the primary ball handler or he's a ball handler on a team that has multiple ball handlers. You had Davion Mitchell on that team as well. And you had, um, you had, you know, some other guys that could handle. So they had multiple ball handlers. And then I think when you add in the fact that, you know, you're just scoring in college is a really different game. Um, you know, he probably has not played a huge amount of time as the primary ball handler 
on on a team. And so that jumps out a little bit that he make that that's still true for him. He's still learning. You know, he plays three years there. His last year, do, he does have 144 assists, and he averages um, 6.3 assists a game, which is pretty high, big number for Scott Drew's team. So I, you know, it's a little. But you kind of look back. They had Macy Oteague, who I think was probably the one who did the most ball handling but had the least assists because college is weird. And then you had Davion Mitchell, who probably did the second most ball handling. You probably could decide between those two. And he had the most assists on the team, creating the most. And then and then Butler. So they had these three guards that were all 6'3", that all played the most amount of minutes um, on that team for that season. And then they're, they're, then they kind of mixed and matched their, their other guys. Their fourth guy who played the most was 6'5", and he could actually handle a little bit as well. And then um, their, their fourth guy was a guy named Flagler who could actually handle as well, and he's 6'3". So, I mean, just kind of really small team. So, so first thing is that Jared came to the NBA last year and was not, had not been a primary ball handler. The second thing Jared said that was super interesting about last year was that he just, you know, you're trying to figure out what your role of the team is. You're getting spot minutes. If you play well, you're going to get more. And you're trying to learn that, and he never really could figure out what he was supposed to do for the team. And, and that makes, on one level, I think it makes complete sense in the sense that he's a young player. He's so used to playing 30 minutes a night in college. He comes and, you know, he's going to end up playing, I think, two nights all year where he plays 30 and five, six nights all year where he plays 20. Um, and so he's ha- he has a hard time trying to find that. I think if you asked last year's coaching staff, they would say, well, we wanted him to be like Howell Neto and come in and change the game and impact the game in that fashion. So the, the truth probably lies somewhere in between that the role that was available to Jared Butler didn't match anything he'd ever done before, and he had a hard time grasping what that role would be, right? Like, when a player says, well, I couldn't find my role, what, there's some extent of like, well, it's also that the role that I was being given wasn't something that had ever matched my skill set, or I didn't believe I was. Jared thinks he's a bona fide 30 minute a night NBA point guard who can score 17 a night and and lead a team and be, you know, use that incredible hesitation game to really be an elite scorer. So this year he said it was interesting he said, "Well, this year it's clear like I am just a pure point guard and I'm out there to get guys involved and to play the game." And this goes back a little bit to the way the Jazz used him in summer league. And so this is the kind of evolution of being a NBA player. And here now he gets a much bigger opportunity to do more. And I think that's um, will be interesting to see how he deals with it. It's, it's pretty exciting. Last year he did. He had two games where he played 30 minutes. And, you know, it's hard to, what are you going to do, just judge him on those? He did have 10 assists in that late April game against Oklahoma City. I think we won that game by 36. And Oklahoma City I don't think was playing NBA players, if I remember correctly. Um you know, he did have uh, played Toronto uh, middle of the year when we had all the COVID stuff going on and we didn't want to send anybody over to Toronto. Um, that's probably an unfair to ju- game to judge him on. One, Toronto's really, really hard to play. And two, he wasn't playing with any of our best players. And um, I do think he scored about 20 that night. Um, he burst out for 20 in um, a ga- late March game in against LA when we won by a ton. He, he was great. He hit those five threes and had seven assists. Um, his assist numbers have been big whenever he's gotten a decent amount of time, like we saw last night. So I do think this is really interesting. Now, right now, he's probably the fifth guard. And so when does he actually get the minutes that he got last night? If we make any moves or guys get beat up a little bit or whenever Mike takes a night off, um, it's going to be interesting. And then, you know, can Colin Sexton play point guard and get other guys involved? You know, we talked about his first two years in the NBA, he had the lowest assist to usage rate of any player in the league. And then last night he did not have an assist 
off a dribble. He had an only assist came when he hit a guy on an inbound pass. So, you know, Collins got to be able to be, unless then Jared gets some of those minutes and Collins playing off the ball most of the time. Um, so that'll be, it'll be really interesting to see Jared Butler's second season in the NBA. We, you know, here's a guy that was talked about like as a possible cut line guy and, and all these other things. And yet, you know, Hey, he's only in the second season in the NBA. He's a bona fide college scorer. I think was ever 16, 17 points a game. And, you know, has this, does have this elite level kind of hesitation game that can make, um, can make plays. And so can he then learn how to do things? And this was something else that Will Hardy said is like, Will Hardy's talking about how our guys have got to learn how to have, um, you know, take, you know, we have these guys who can attack off the dribble. And I think you're talking about Sexton and Jared Butler and Taylor Horton Tucker and um, probably predominantly um, Jordan probably not as worried about whether he's got some more maturity and experience. And, you know, once I attack and beat someone off the dribble, which Sexton can every single time, can they make the right decision? And are what are they reading? And are they reading correctly? And are they making plays for their teammates? Is just going to be a huge storyline throughout the whole season of our guards and whether or not they can do that. Mike obviously does it beautifully, but the actual truth on Mike is he's getting older. Beating someone off the dribble is not as easy for him as it once was, though he's still pretty quick. And then his lack of size and all the lack of size of all these guys we've talked about other than Horton Tucker means that when they get in the lane, it's a difficult um, thing for them to be able to get those passes out to other people and find those passing lanes. And so sometimes it's holding the dribble and gnashing out the other backside on a search dribble. Sometimes it's actually getting all the way to the rim and shooting it. Other times it's stopping the dribble in the lane, holding your feet, you know, your feet and fakes and being able to make plays. Um, so there's a lot of different reads that happen there um, for a guard at that moment and how they're going to play it. And it's not always just having your eye on the basket. And then if the basket goes away, then I'll make my read for my teammate. It's got to sometimes be going in with the intention of trying to get your teammate involved. A um, few notes just statistically. I don't know what I really think of um, preseason stats. In fact, I think I think very little of them. But there's a few notes I thought are interesting. Um Lowry Markin is four of 17 from three. I, I think one of the things I talked to Ron Boone about the other day will be interesting on him is his shot is so beautiful and he's a career 36% three point shooter. Um, and you know, can he get that up to 40? He, he looks like he should be able to get it up to 40 just with how he plays and what he does. And, um, uh, and, and the way his shot looks, it's beautiful and his execution's good and his fundamentals are good. So can he actually get that up to that number? Um, the four of 17 doesn't bother me at all because the fact is that you're playing with new guys and new systems and new, none of those shots can feel comfortable. Um, both Mike Conley and Jared Butler, pretty great. Five of 10 and uh, five of eight from three and Colin Sexton, six of nine. That This is where the jazz. And I think a lot of those are coming off the bounce. Um, that's this is where the jazz can get kind of nifty is if those guys can hit their off the bounce threes. And if you go under on a pick, um, they really can make some plays on it. Um, Malik Beasley's only played the two games. He was just four of 16. I think that's the comfort level. Uh, Rudy Gazo of nine from three so far, so that hasn't gone well for him yet. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker's 0 of five and 0 of 10 overall um, shooting. And, you know, it's interesting, I think, on that account, and hopefully he's not worrying about it as a, as a preseason, but he did share, you know, that last year he just wasn't as efficient as he wanted and didn't make some shots early on Jared uh, with Willie, new coach Willie Green and then spiraled a bit out of that just from the pressure and wanting to do well and wanting and hopefully to do things better. Let's hope he doesn't feel that here. I think, you know, Will's giving him a lot of rope um, and a lot of freedom to just play. Um, so 
hopefully that'll be all right. But it isn't, you know, it is worth keeping an eye on just for his own personal confidence and the rest. Um, 13 free throw attempts for Walker Kessler in 54 minutes is interesting to me. Um, though, again, it's only preseason. Seven offensive rebounds in 54 minutes is interesting. Also, those are pretty exciting numbers on a kid uh, to see him be able to make some of those plays uh, and tell you that just his pure athletic skills allow him to do an awful lot of things. All right, that's a quick look at Jazz things. We'll Eastern Conference, then we'll review Western Conference predictions today using the points gain system, which is our metric uh, that I built that judges one's offensive uh, capabilities defensively. I'm 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 lukewarm on our projections, um, and I'll talk through some of them uh, with you and how it works out. But we'll we'll talk first about who are going to be the best offensive teams in the NBA. What are the top ten offensive teams in the NBA? If you're in the chat room listening right now on the on the virtual live chat, who do you think will be the number one offense in the NBA? I'll tell you. In just one second, it is Locked on Jazz. Today's Locked on Jazz is brought to you by my friends over at Summit Cap. Summit Capital is a local Utah investment company that actually invested in the uh, Locked on uh, Podcast Network. It's Matt and Jeff and David and, and the crew over at Summit Cap do, do really great work. It was a pleasure to work with them because Jeff's a huge Locked on Jazz listener, and so he's a Locked on Podcast Network um, guy. And so he actually reached out through a guy named Brian Henderson was like, hey, are you looking for investment? And we were. And so they invested. What was interesting is, you know, you get nervous when you bring somebody in who doesn't know your business, how they're going to react. And they were perfect. They asked great questions. They kept us in line from a pure business standpoint on some things to make sure that we were (laughs) doing the right thing with their questions. But never once did they suddenly interject and tell us how to do our business. And maybe most importantly, never once did they give us some false timeline of you've got to be out by this time if you're going to take our money. So it was entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs, which was pretty great. What they're looking for right now is to provide capital for management who's seeking to buy out the owner of a business they work in. So, you know, you work for a company or you know someone who works for a company, the owners are are maybe stuck in their ways or maybe it's time for them, they're, they're ready to move on, whatever it might be, but you don't have the capital to be able to buy them out. Well, Summit Cap will come in and Summit Capital will make the investment and then you get, they get some equity, you get the ownership equity through your uh, knowledge of the company and you guys move forward and have great success um, together. They're also looking for just owners who are seeking to sell their businesses or entrepreneurs seeking capital to help their businesses. Reach out to Matt. You can text him at 801-796-2033. That's 801-796-2033. Or if it's easier, send an email to LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com or go to SummitCapUtah.com on the website. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Find out all the latest odds, news, scores, all the rest at Bet Online. the latest in sport every sport imaginable that you could look for, whether it's the MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, all of your favorites. Head to betonline.net to use or use their mobile device to learn more. It's BetOnline. It's where the game begins. Make baseball a little bit more interesting or exciting. Uh, NFL, pick them between the Commanders and the Bears. And for second prize, you get to watch it twice. Uh, baseball lines today, the Mariners are plus one and a half against the Astros, where the, and so the Guardians are the same against the Yankees, and then Dodgers and Padres tomorrow. Uh, who's the most likely team to win the World Series right now is the Astros are at plus 275, the Dodgers at plus 285, then the Yankees at plus 500. Basketball, NBA futures, they still have all the over-unders, the championship odds, the Warriors at plus 575, with the Celtics at plus 650. 
Bucks plus 700. Brooklyn Nets at plus 750. And Clippers at plus 750 as well. That's all at betonline.net, where the game starts. All right, this is pretty cool. We have the Ultimate NBA preview up at Locked On NBA, so go grab that. Locked On NBA on YouTube. It's also on the Ultimate uh, preview feed on podcasts available for you. We've done it in a bunch of different things. The Jazz are in the tankers category. Yeah, you can decide whether you like that or not. I kind of fight it in the sh- in the show. Um, they're up on Locked On NBA on YouTube. The whole shows are also just available on uh, look, search your podcast for the ultimate uh, preview series, and they're all there for it. It's been great fun. We combined with Odyssey to do that. So that's a must listen for your second listen uh, of the day. All right, let's go to the Eastern Conference projections here and the overall best offenses in the league. So um, in the East and in the West, the number one offenses I have are not close. Um, the, there are two offensive teams that come out, one in each conference, considerably better than anyone else in the NBA this year. In the Eastern Conference, it's the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets are far and away the best offensive team in the league. I'm not saying that their rating is going to be this offensive rating. If it is, that'd be crazy. Um, but I created a rating system. This this number kind of honestly doesn't mean a lot. The only thing I would tell you it means is I can give you kind of a uh, judge. The middle number right is about 115, shall we call it, okay? So 115 is the baseline. Um, the worst of the group, uh, the worst offense in the NBA uh, this year, I have Oklahoma City and Detroit. They're at about 115, or excuse me, 105. So we have 115 as a baseline middle. We have 105 as the basement. And then the tops not doesn't have nearly the same jump. But Denver's a 122. Brooklyn's a 121. And then Phoenix comes in as the third best offense, but all the way down at 118, which is a pretty... And then, and then between 118 and 115, right? So three points are 13 teams, 12 teams. Between 121 and 122 and 118 is the same difference. So one to three is the same difference as three to 16. So Denver and Brooklyn just come out offensively at a totally different level than anyone else. Now, this means Michael Porter Jr. has to be healthy. This means that Kevin Durant has to be healthy. This means that Kyrie Irving has to want to come to work. This has to mean, like, there's a lot of, this is all assuming health. Kevin Pelton does fabulous projections in which he's able to project in a, just at a much, much higher level whether or not someone's going to play, not play, um, all those kind of different things that I, I don't have that, you know, I can steal Kevin's numbers um, and do it. But Kevin does a really nice job of projecting that, hey, you know what, I've actually got, this guy playing, you know, X amount of minutes, and therefore um, we've got we've got them. You know, he, he can he can equate that probably in all likelihood, Kevin Durant's only playing sixty one games this year, and so therefore it becomes in a you know a less um, it lessens him. I don't have that, um, so that has Brooklyn being red really generally ready 
Um, there. Kevin Pelton's stats-based projections for each team that he put out this year. He, in the West, he had Phoenix as one, Denver at two, 49, and he has the win totals lower, 49 and 48 for Denver. He had New Orleans at 48 and Memphis at 46. We'll touch on that here just in a second. Over on the, on the East, he has Boston as one at 54, Milwaukee at 50, Philadelphia at 48, the Raptors at 47, Atlanta at 46, Miami at 46. And he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have Brooklyn until 46. So he wasn't impressed with them after their disappointing season last year. And he has Durant forecasted to just play 51 games. So that that's worth noting. However, I've got him just as considerably better offensively than anyone else. Now, Joe Harris has got to play. Seth Curry's got to play. The second best offensive team in the East I have is Milwaukee. Then Philadelphia. Then Miami. So no big surprises here. Then Atlanta. Now I think this begins to get a little interesting because you're not here in Cleveland. Chicago comes in at six. Boston comes in at seven. And Cleveland I have as a just distinctly average 15th ranked in the NBA, 8th ranked in the Eastern Conference offensive team. Washington is ninth, 10th is Charlotte, 11th is Indiana, 12th is New York, 13th is Toronto. Stun me. 14th is Orlando, and Detroit comes in terribly. Jaden Ivey getting a lot of possessions. Rookies are usually really, really inefficient. So then when you start to put in the defensive teams in the league, I had Toronto as the number one defensive team in the league. Boston is the number two in the East. Miami at three. Milwaukee at four. Cleveland probably needs to get in here somewhere. Philadelphia at five. Cleveland at six. New York at seven defensively. Eighth, Atlanta. DeJounte Murray could push them up a little bit. Nine, Orlando. Ten, Charlotte. Eleven, Brooklyn. They just, hard to believe they can defend it all. Twelve, Chicago. Thirteen, Detroit. Fourteen, Washington. Fifteen, Indiana. What it leads to is that while Brooklyn is the number one offensive team, it starts to get very similar to what, where Kevin Pelton had things. When you suddenly add in the defense. So he has Boston as the number one team. I have Milwaukee as number one. Miami is the number two seed. They were the one last year. Philadelphia as the three seed, which is exactly what Kevin has. Boston as the four seed. He has Toronto there. The fifth seed for me in the Eastern Conference is now Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, Boston, first round again. Atlanta gets six. So the, non, the teams in my projections that make the playoffs and no play-in are Milwaukee, Miami, Philadelphia, Boston, Brooklyn, and Atlanta. For Kevin, it's same Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Toronto, Atlanta, and Miami. So he, I have in that group the one difference. I have, uh, we both have Atlanta, we both have Boston. I have Brooklyn where he has Toronto. I'd probably go with him. Toronto, I have at seven. So our top seven become the exact same. Eight, Cleveland, which is exactly where Kevin Pelton had him. I I don't think people are going to be really happy in Cleveland. Cleveland's the eighth team in the Eastern Conference, 43 wins playing a play-in game. Like, that's, like, now Donovan, according to Pelton, Donovan's bottom 10 defensive rating in terms of uh, real adjusted plus minus um, does not help them, and it doesn't help them either. I have them as the sixth ranked 
um, offense, defensive team in the Eastern Conference. They were sixth ranked overall last year. Next is Chicago, despite all their injuries, then sh- and then New York comes in at 10 in the playing game with Charlotte missing out on the playing game. There might not actually be more than 10 teams in the Western, in the Eastern Conference battling for a spot. Washington comes at 12, which would be disappointing them largely because I don't think they're going to be able to defend. 13th, Orlando, they uh, struggle offensively. Indiana, 14. And Detroit, 15. I was surprised. I had Detroit higher. From a, from a tanking standpoint on this, gets interesting that Detroit, Indiana end up both kind of back into the tank pretty quickly here. Um, and then the third, Orlando, who they have high hopes, just offensively I do not have making strides. We'll see. We'll look back at the Western Conference, see how this relates and compares to Pelton as well um, as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You want more NBA predictions? It is the Locked on NBA Ultimate Preview, along with Odyssey, so make sure you go grab that. It's pretty super and pretty special. Um, we did some, as we do a lot of work with our guys. We have their experts, um, as well. It's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's the ultimate pro basketball preview, a six episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NBA season. So it has our local experts. It has NBA insiders from lockdown and Odyssey into one huge preview. Um, and it's broken up based to teams that are kind of in their, um, you know, tankers, strivers, championshipers kind of broken up into six different categories. Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so the Western Conference predictions, as you heard me say, Denver comes out just well ahead as the number one offense in all of the NBA. Number two offense is Minnesota. Um, And they're at 118 on that scale of 105 being the basement, 115 being the middle, 122 being the best. Denver a full point ahead of Brooklyn. 118 is... Kind of where Minnesota comes out on that scale. Um, then the Clippers at 117.5, just to give you the reference. Then a pretty good slip to New Orleans at 5, though, 116. Lakers come out fine for me this year. Last year, you remember the Lakers came out miserably. And this year, they're coming out as the 6th best team. And 12th best offensive team overall. 6th best offensive team in the league. We, we had the Lakers really struggling last year. I don't this year. Sacramento comes in at 116, and then the Warriors, for whatever reason, are coming out average, which the Warriors, I think that's probably unlikely, but they are. They did lose some really efficient players in the offseason, Otto Porter, Gary Porter Jr., and they are playing some young kids who usually are not very efficient. Uh, Portland at 9, 10 is Dallas, which was surprising to me as well, so that was kind of a big stunner in my in my numbers, Memphis is 11th, which again was a was a stunner in my numbers offensively. But I understand why the numbers don't get the amount of offensive rebounds um, they play in, and they play in so much transition and that they get to the, get a little bit more efficient than my system guys. And then Utah's at 111, so 115 being average. We're 111, 105 being the basement, um, and and only Houston, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City came in lower. Um, than us. If you add in the defensive ratings, and it's a little hard to tell. If the Warriors is the number one defense. Minnesota is the number two defense with Rudy. Number three defense in the Western Conference, Phoenix. Number four, Memphis. Probably could flip those. Uh, number five, Clippers. Depends on how many games everybody plays, right? Dallas, sixth. Denver, seventh defensively. Might be high. New Orleans, eight. Lakers, nine. Uh, we'll see whether they play defense under Darvin Ham. Number 10, Sacramento, 11, Portland, 12th, San Antonio, 13th, Utah. Without Rudy, there's just no way to plug in numbers to have any idea. 14, Houston, and 15, Oklahoma City. So that is the Western projection as the number one seed is Minnesota. Not great for our draft pick. 
Number two is Phoenix. Number three is Denver. And number four is Golden State. If we go back and look at the great Kevin Pelton, and let's see what he had for the Western Conference. Kevin Pelton has the number one seed in the Western Conference this year being the Phoenix Suns, followed tightly by Denver, New Orleans, and Memphis. So my top four were Minnesota, Phoenix, Denver, and Golden State. He has Minnesota at five, the Clippers at six, Dallas at seven, and Golden State at eight. He's running into a little bit of some of the same stuff I'm running into on the Warriors, evidently. This is actually the first time I've looked at some of Kevin's stuff. Um, so our play-in, I have his play-in teams in the West, or playoff teams in the West, Minnesota, Phoenix, Denver, Golden State, New Orleans, and the Lakers. A little surprising to me. Interestingly, he has New Orleans as well. So Phoenix, Denver, New Orleans, all the same. Minnesota the same. And then he has the Clippers, obviously, instead of the Lakers. So the four teams, this is crazy. The four teams both of us have making the playoffs in the West, not the plan, are Minnesota, New Orleans, Denver, and Phoenix. That is not the power brokers of the West as you would anticipate. He then has Dallas at seven, Golden State at eight, the Lakers at nine, and Portland is 10 for the play-in. I have the Clippers at seven, Memphis at eight, Dallas at nine, and Sacramento at 10. But crazy is Dallas is in the playing game in both of our projections. I actually have the Clippers in the playing game, which Kevin has them at six. That's for the team that we all think is going to win it. You start projecting minutes and things like that. Golden State and Memphis swap for us, and then I have Sacramento, and he has Portland. Um, and then he has Utah, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Houston. On the win total, he has the Jazz at 35. I have, similarly, I have Utah, uh, San Antonio, Houston, and Oklahoma City. Overall, I have the Jazz, if you're wondering, I have the Oklahoma City as 30, doing this for the first time. I have Detroit at 29. I have Houston at 28. I have Indiana at 27. San Antonio at 26. And Utah at 28. Five. So we would be the six, have the six most amount of ping pong balls if this projection system falls at all accurately to where it says to be. All right, those are the predictions. Tomorrow, a Friday edition, we'll ask LOJ. We'll get ready for the final preseason game. And then we next week, it's the opening week. Go take a second and start previewing the six-part series of the NBA preview, the ultimate NBA preview. All here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.